Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Can I help you? Yeah, I'm just uh, going up to see Elaine Bennis. Bennis. There's no one here by that name. <laughs> oh, she's, uh, she's house-sitting for Mr. Pitt. Oh, house-sitter. Yeah. Mm. What are you, the boyfriend? Here for a quickie? Well, I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello, Ivan. Hello, Stephen. And hello to you, our listeners. We are, but I don't want to be a secondary character. We're a Melbourne podcast, and every week we take a random episode of Seinfeld and examine the secondary characters from it. And uh, as you can probably tell, I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. And I'm the other host, Ivan, of course. And this week we are doing a underrated episode from Season 6, Episode 18, The Doorman. That's right, with Larry Miller, who plays the eponymous character, and boy, he is a snarky motherfucker, isn't he? Yeah, lots to talk about uh, when we do eventually examine him a bit later on in the episode, but... Uh, yeah, definitely a complex character. Very complex, and he definitely has it in for Jerry, and I'd say probably, I guess you'd say a superiority complex, or is it an inferiority? No, probably superiority, right? Bit of both. Bit of I'd both. say, yeah. he, like I said, he's a, he's a complex man. If you want to uh, talk about how complex you are, or if you have any bad experiences with door men. Or if you're a uh, door person women, yourself. Or if you're a door person, you can email us at bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com or on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to all of the previous episodes of this podcast on your podcast app of choice, and it would really help out if you want to rate us or review us, and you can support us financially as well. That's right. We are on Patreon and PayPal, and uh, our current patrons as of recording, Tim, Holly, Nakia, Jeff, Kelly, Neil, and Dan. So thank you very much, guys, for supporting us. They're paying $2 a month plus applicable taxes, depending on where you're from and uh, they're getting bonus episodes of Curbcast, our Curb Your Enthusiasm review podcast, as well as this episode one week or thereabouts earlier than everyone else, and uh, as well as season 11, our current podcast series where Stephen and I come up with modern day episodes of Seinfeld. That's right. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for your support, guys. We really appreciate it, especially during these times when cash is a bit harder to come by. Finally, as well, if you want to join our Facebook group, Seinfeldisms, we are the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook. Check that out. I will be running trivia in the next week or two so check out the details and join around 74,000 other Seinfeld fans on Facebook at Seinfeldisms and hopefully this time around well I was going to say because we've gone to Seinfeld trivia a few times you and me Steve but uh, I think because you'll be orchestrating the trivia you probably won't be competing but uh, yeah hopefully uh, I was thinking hopefully we could go number one but that that won't be happening this time no I think a bit of a conflict of interest there if I'm competing and running it unless (laughs) unless I find some sort of random Seinfeld question generator or load the trivia questions in when I'm really drunk so that I can't remember them. (laughs) I think that's a bit of an unfair advantage there. Fair enough, yes. (laughs) I think maybe another time. Yeah, maybe. All right, let's kick the episode off. Let's start with Seinfeldisms. That is the intersection of Seinfeld and real life, where we talk about any Seinfeld-related moments that have happened in the last week in our lives. I've only got one this week, bit of a repeat from last week, which is that uh, I was listening to a podcast, couldn't tell you what, and they happened to mention Seinfeld. Uh, do you have any Seinfeldisms? Uh, actually, uh, I told you, Stephen, earlier in the week that I don't have one myself, but there's a really awesome fan Seinfeldism that was given to us. So this is from a regular listener. His name's Parkers. He's the 
uh, co-host of the uh, Conversation podcast, The Campfire, with Parkers and Daly, and they're currently on hiatus because of COVID. He got in touch with us over Instagram, and I don't think you've actually read this story, Steve. No, you you mentioned it to me, but I uh, decided to keep it as a surprise. Yeah, it is fucking amazing, man. It's like one of the greatest Seinfeldisms I've ever heard. So Parkers said when he was in school, he did a cross-country race you know, for the school, and the winners would go on to represent, uh, well, the winner or the, or the top one or two would represent the school in like the regional finals. So he claims he was actually a terrible runner, but his friend was like the number one runner in the school. Um, so what would happen is when they'd do the cross-country race to keep track of everyone's laps, a teacher would use like a felt pen or a marker to mark the runners for each lap that they've done. One mark on your arm meant one lap. Parker's, he was, for some reason, he was given two marks instead of one, and it looked like he overlapped the number one runner in the school, and he actually, um, they just decided that he actually won the race. <laughs> oh. And his friend apparently was really filthy about the decision, because his friend, like I said, is like a top cross-country runner, or was. Parker's was so embarrassed, he actually qualified for the regional championships, but he was so embarrassed, he didn't actually attend, and he was humiliated by his teacher, and apparently his friend hadn't spoken to him for over 20 years, so he was probably uh, probably a bit filthy about the decision. Yeah, I can understand why he'd be dirty. I don't yeah. understand why Parker's just didn't clarify that it was a mistake, if he felt embarrassed uh, enough to not run for the regionals no surely he, just be like no he felt too embarrassed but the, the kicker is he actually said when people asked why doesn't he want to do the race he'd say to people i choose not to run oh perfect <laughs> yeah like jerry in the race and i was like oh is your yeah. mate's name duncan and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> so that was a freaking awesome seinfeldism i was like oh thanks man so yeah thanks parkers that was a, a really really ripper seinfeldism man one of the best i've ever heard i reckon that's a brilliant one yeah, uh amazing. yeah can't really top that. Didn't even come from I, us, and it's one of the best. Crazy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I was hoping that I could have pulled off a long-term Seinfeldism this week. I actually got engaged through the week, and yes. uh, I was hoping that I could convince my fiance to go and buy some cheap invitations and that she would lick them and not die, but get severely ill. But oh, no. we've, yeah, we've decided to do the uh, the what's done these days, the 21st century digital invitations. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe I can infect her via a computer virus or something like some super virus. I don't know. She can lick it's, the screen got, or something and get sick. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I can put something on the screen and she'll lick it and, uh, you know, she'll get really ill. Uh, hopefully not. Well, no, I, I was saying to you before, like, when you mentioned this, first of all, like, we never even made a pact about getting engaged, which is annoying. <laughs> so there, we can't go back to that. But you've got to smoke and you've got to have a prenup as well. So you got to try those two things. you got to try and, like, subtly get out of the engagement if you can. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I've got, to, I've got to find reasons to postpone the wedding, get out of the engagement, do everything other than kill her, basically. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. That. Uh, she actually came into the room coincidentally as I was talking about this, mm-hmm. and uh, she she's obviously knows I'm joking, but um, she looked a bit shocked when I <laughs> described what I regret I can't do in terms of Scientologisms. But you know that's fine. She's that's, allowed to. Yes, we had a pact, Stephen. <laughs> we did. We but did. Congratulations, uh, you too. That's fabulous. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful thank you. news in these lot. dire times. Yeah, it's been a bit of a rough trot for many people, myself included. Yeah. So it's nice to get some happiness where we can find it in the what is a grimmer uh, year than most. Moving on to Seinfeld news. Unfortunately, we have to keep it on the the grim train. Another passing of 
another Seinfeld alumni, actor Rini Santoni, who played Poppy on uh, about three or four episodes of Seinfeld, I'd say. He passed away about a week and a half ago at the age of 81. His friend, who's a TV writer and producer, her name's Tracy Newman, she posted on Facebook that he'd been sick for quite a while and that he was a terrific actor, an improviser and performer, that she loved him very much and that he'll be missed terribly uh, and that another great one is gone. Indeed. Um, and, and, he, and Poppy, I was going to say Stephen Poppy's actually in this episode in the very end. So yeah, he is. I know, I know. It seems like a, a nice coincidence uh, yeah. that, you know, that we can talk a bit about Poppy uh, in the episode where we reported uh, Rini's passing. And like I said at the start of the news report that he joins so many Seinfeld alumni. So we've got in the last sort of six or seven months, we have Wilford Brimley, who died a couple of weeks ago. He was in uh, the junk mail as a postmaster general. We also had uh, Regis Philbin. He played himself when he was hosting Kramer, who was promoting his coffee table book. In May, we had Richard Hurd. He played Wilhelm in a whole bunch of episodes. Yeah. Uh, George's boss at the Yankees. A couple of weeks before that, in early May, we had Jerry Stiller, who oh. played Frank Costanza's, uh, sorry, uh, George Costanza's dad, Frank Costanza. Mm-hmm. And late last year, we had uh, Charles Levin. He, I can't remember who he played. He I'm, played I'm blanking the, uh, the Moyle in the Briz episode. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he, he passed it. away in November last year. So mm-hmm. in the last sort of eight or nine months, we've had, what, six or seven major passings, which is just, mm-hmm. you know. Well, they are getting uh, like, of the age, you know, they're getting old. and Yeah. We should do like an in memoriam episode maybe at the end of the year, you know. We should yeah. do like a bonus farewell episode for the people from Seinfeld who passed. Yeah, no, that'd be nice. We can talk about the actors and their careers and yeah. maybe a few highlights here and there. I think so. We should do uh, yeah, end of the year, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just a bit on Rini's career. He is best known probably for playing Poppy in Seinfeld. He also is really well known for playing Chico Gonzalez in Dirty Harry. Yes. It's probably his best known film role. He also acted in Bad Boys, not the 1995, I would say, action comedy. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, there was a 1983 movie called Bad Boys. He was in 28 Days, the underrated and most excellent um, zombie film. He was in Hawaii Five-0, The Odd Couple, and a whole bunch of other things. So, career, um, yeah. So, so quite a career. He was he, he was never like an A-lister, but he was like a really, really highly regarded character actor, you know, and he did serious roles, comedic roles and everything in between. So uh, an unfortunate loss. Mm, yeah, definitely. Rest in peace and condolence as well. We've been saying this every week for the last few weeks, but condolences <laughs> to his family and friends. Indeed, indeed. Moving on to slightly happier news, the actor James Hong, who played Bruce the maitre d' in the Chinese restaurant, probably one of the most popular and well-known and most quoted secondary characters from Seinfeld, for sure. There's a campaign happening at the moment led by another uh, actor. His name's Daniel Day Kim. He's basically trying to get James Hong a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. The reason being is that... James Hong is considered the most prolific actor in Hollywood history, at least uh, one who's still alive. He's acted in more than 700, uh, sorry, 600 roles. He's appeared in Kung Fu Panda, Mulan, uh, and Avatar, The Last Airbender as a voice actor. He's also acted in Blade Runner, Chinatown, Airplane, Big Trouble in Little China. I'm sensing a theme here. Mm, <laughs> yes, I think um, so. Yeah, and uh, Daniel Day Kim, like I said, he's a lost actor. He actually launched a GoFundMe campaign, and I checked it just before we recorded. The initial goal was 55000 US dollars, and when I checked about 15 minutes ago, it had ticked over. I think it's $55,050 or something. Right. I think using that money, I don't know what the process is after that, but uh, it looks 
looks like at some point, maybe this year or next year, um, James Hong will receive a much deserved star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. As he certainly deserves it. Because I think with those ones, the studios usually pay for them or maybe the estates of actors or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you, you got to actually pay money to have one. You can't just get given yep. one. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that James Hong had to do a fundraiser to get this done, I mean, that's crazy. At the moment, he's credited in 671 roles. It, it's hard to officially sort of determine who is the most credited actor because, you know, there's probably a lot of uncredited roles from like college roles and independent roles and stuff. But uh, at the moment, he's the most officially credited actor in not only alive in Hollywood, but in Hollywood history, which is just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. Let's take a really quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about some secondary characters from today's episode, season six, episode 18, The Doorman. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. The Doorman from Season 6 first aired in the US on February 23rd, 1995, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Tom Gamble and Max Pross. Elaine House sits for Mr. Pitt, Ian Abercrombie. Jerry goes to meet up with her to go to the movies and winds up offending the doorman played by Larry Miller. So to make up for it, Jerry watches the door for him. But when Jerry leaves his post on the and the couch in the lobby is stolen, Jerry and Elaine formulate a plan to cover their tracks. Meanwhile, Kramer invents a bra for men and George tries to find a way to get his father, Frank, out of his apartment. Bro, Manzia. <laughs> Which one do you like more, bro or Manzia? I actually like Manzia. Oh. I'm with Frank on this one. See, I was thinking that you could have both so maybe initially launching with the manzia to target to uh, older gentlemen like frank and uh sid but if that's successful you can maybe introduce a product aimed at a younger market and call it the bro so i think you should take advantage of both names i think they suit different markets oh yeah manzia sounds really uh, really fancy it'd be like a rich old man would probably wear one well yeah i mean i don't like how frank describes the bro as too ethnic i don't think that that comment has aged very well but i think what he was trying to say was that it wouldn't appeal to men of his age who wouldn't understand the terminology of bro uh you know growing up in the generation they did so i think initially using manzia and then if that's successful spinning out a younger you know a a younger market counterpart would be intelligent as well i think that would be good marketing because they they're both good names for different different age groups there you go you've had it down sid farkas couldn't even figure it out well we all have our talents and mine is thinking of appropriate names for appropriate bra markets yeah so I'm building on the uh, the marketing and salesman genius of Sid Farkas. I'm I'm the next generation. You are, man. You're Stephen <laughs> Farkas. <laughs> nice. And uh, other secondary characters in the episode, Estelle Harris as Estelle Costanza. Patrick Cronin, he appears for a second time on the show as Sid Farkas. Uh, Edith Fields plays Mrs. Payton and Jack Betts plays Mr. Green, their residences of Mr. Pitt's Tower. Rini Santoni, the late Rini Santoni that we reported on on Seinfeld News, he plays Poppy in a very short scene at the end. And Nick Jameson plays plays Horst, one of the German tourists. So, Stephen, a bit of trivia about the episode. Larry Miller, I could not believe this at all, mate. Did you know that Larry Miller was one of two <laughs> finalists for the role of George Costanza next to Jason? Yeah, no, I didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense because I know, I know. And I mean, it makes sense. He, you know, he looks similar to George. He's got similar stature. He's bald. He's got brown hair. Um, a bit taller, though. Yeah, yeah, a bit taller. That's true. But I, I didn't know that he came so close or that he was even uh, a contender. And he's actually so. a friend of uh, Jerry's, a close friend of Jerry's. So, uh, 
Yeah, he's yeah. one of Jerry's best mates in real life. So that I'm sure that helped him out a bit. I think a little you know. bit, but no, the fact that he was he was a, a whisker from getting it, and Jason beat him to it. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. I I, did, I actually did not know that as a massive sign. No, I did not know that at all. That was crazy. No, I can't believe it. No, no, yeah, definitely a surprise when I read that trivia. The scene where Kramer is pursued by the um, German tourists who uh, noticed that he was the one who quote-unquote, mugged George. That was actually added later on by Larry David, and it's a parody of a scene in a movie called Marathon Man, and I don't know anything about that film. Yeah, it was added later on during the writing process, I guess, to flesh it out and, you know, have a few extra lols. Yeah, because it was quite odd having that. It was like, that's really, really strange how Kramer would do that. I know I, I found it a bit off for the episode, but I guess it kind of worked out a bit in the end when Kramer, you know, is cornered by the German tourists and he pulls out the bromance here and they're pretty impressed by it. I love how um, he sort of like disarms the whole situation yeah. when they notice the bro and he just goes on his uh, pitch about the bro and they're really impressed. It, it just completely, what's the word, like de-escalates the situation. Oh, indeed it does. <laughs> do you have any other trivia? Uh just one more. So in the scene, of, I don't know if you've seen the outtakes of this before or not, but there's a scene uh, right at the end of the in the credits where Frank is uh, in the bed with George and he offers him uh, Kasha. And um, apparently, like, it took so many takes to get that scene done. Jason would not stop laughing. They had to shoot it, I think, like dozens of times to get the right shot. Yeah, that makes sense. Have I mean, it would be hard. Takes? To... They're so f- oh, they're funny, man. You got to watch them. They're so good. I'd like to check them out, though. Funny as. Yeah. No, I, I could imagine that that would be hard to keep a straight face while doing that. Yeah. Kesha. <laughs> Kesha. And he puts the bowl and the spoon so close to his face, it's almost like he's going to feed him like he's a baby. Of course. And that's probably why Jason just couldn't hold him. Yeah. Too, yeah. Too yeah. Yeah. Sure. No, great scene. Great ending, too. One of those unexpected credits scene that has nothing. I mean, it's related to the episode, but it's not required to, you know, to wrap up the storyline completely no. out of the blue, but no. absolutely perfect. Cherry absolutely. on top. Yeah. Cherry on top, indeed. Yeah. That was, uh, the Jerry on top. Stiller. The Jerry on top, nice. <laughs> he I like was it. on top in that ep- in this episode for sure. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like man, that for sure. Anyway, should we talk about some secondaries, my friend? Yeah, let's uh, let's start with uh, Poppy. We'll oh, okay. uh, you know the late we'll, Poppy. we'll give him oh, yeah. yeah we'll give him top billing considering the uh, unfortunate passing of Rini through the week. Fair enough. Well, obviously, yes, he was played by Rini Santoni. He made his debut in the episode The Pie. That's the one where he doesn't wash his hands, <laughs> and uh, Jerry spots it in the bathroom. We already did that episode, I think, maybe a couple of years. Ago. Ago, I think in 2018, maybe late 2017, we did that episode. So if you want to know a bit more about the origins of Poppy and what we thought, you can go back to that one. But I think this episode is probably, excluding the finale, probably the last one that he was in, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yep. right at the end. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and also he was in the couch as well. He famously peed on uh, Jerry's couch that he gets given to George because George is his cheapskate. But yeah, with Poppy, I mean, he, he says that he goes to Mr. Pitt's building because he has a friend who lives there. I'm guessing probably because Poppy was a chef and we find out in this episode that he sold his restaurant because he gets um, mm. he gets really angry and when he's stressed, you know, his, his heart plays up and stuff. So he has to be very calm. So the restaurant was a huge beacon of anger for him. I think maybe the person he's visiting, because it, it seems like a really exclusive apartment building, probably for like really like old rich fogies <laughs> who's got like millions, yep. you know, maybe an apartment's like a couple of million each or something. I'm guessing maybe Poppy befriended a man or a woman who ate at the restaurant and uh, maybe 
yeah, they're just they've become friends. Yeah, I mean, you've got some high profile people who you know who eat at his restaurant. Um, it's considered like sort of fine dining Italian in the episodes where he has the restaurant. So wouldn't surprise me that a more I guess rich clientele would be there. And you know, yeah, maybe he befriended someone through being the owner. Maybe they came there you know as a regular, and over time they became good friends. And uh, you know, that's why he's still got a relationship even after he's sold his restaurant. One thing. I was surprised. I can't remember if they talk about it in the couch, but this episode reveals that Poppy's, you know, that he's based on his uh, aggravation. You know, when he gets worked up, one of the symptoms of that is incontinence. He he can't mm-hmm. control his bladder. Yeah. But my understanding in the couch was that he peed on the couch deliberately to almost get revenge on Jerry, I that think, it wasn't yeah. involunt- I involuntary. Think, I so think it's, that was our take. I think when we did, I, re- I think mm. I vaguely recall when we did the couch, that was another episode we did way back when, but I think we did mention that it was a deliberate ploy to get back at Jerry. But in that episode, because he gets given wine and chili as a gift and he can't eat all that stuff and it makes him sick yeah maybe yeah it was probably just a ploy back then to to get back at jerry yeah maybe at the time he didn't know that the two were linked but you know once he saw his doctor a bit more and he understood his condition you know it was revealed that it was actually you know it wasn't an intentional thing it was involuntary when he gets worked up yeah it was just it was just surprising to you know to find out that difference in how he understands his own involuntary urination yeah (laughs) i did like how they tied the couch back in and um poppy i thought that that was a really smart sometimes when they crowbar characters in it can seem a bit forced but I, I didn't think it was forced in this it was unexpected but it was really it added to the to the uh to the storyline i think it was absolutely seamless so i agree with you man Especially yeah when elaine turns up because in the couch i think it's in the couch where they have the argument about the abortion and you know the abortion's the metaphor for the pizza yep. in that episode and uh yeah well the when, pizza the pizza's the metaphor the, for sorry the, the pizza's the metaphor yes for the yeah. abortion yes yes but then when when he as soon as he sees elaine he uh he gets rolled up <laughs> yeah i'm surprised that he isn't a bit more salty at jerry it's almost like nothing even though jerry didn't do anything directly you know he has had via elaine he's had sort of a bit of tension with jerry but the fact that it's maybe maybe he's maybe part of his recovery or part of his you know program to look after his health is to try and at least in his mind let bygones be bygones just so that he has a bit more peace in his mind well he actually he just mentions he actually mentioned steve that the restaurant was a big part of his uh, his anger and his stress yeah. so to get rid of the restaurant got rid of the anger and stress yeah but you know the fact that he was just so open and friendly to jerry and that there wasn't any sort of remaining tension was i think was a deliberate choice as well by by poppy you know just to reduce more tension yeah. even after the restaurant sold but you know elaine is obviously someone he can't can't um you know he can't resolve his own tension with elaine it's it's obviously a source for him <laughs> yes <laughs> indeed do you have anything else about poppy no not in this context but I, I i like i said i think this was his final appearance on seinfeld besides the finale i think he was one of the guys the people in the courtroom uh watching yeah, on. He, right. he didn't he didn't testify i don't believe but he was in it um but yeah no it's, it was it was really appropriate that we talked about uh, poppy and rini especially with what happened in the last week or so so uh yeah and it's a very nice little send-off for poppy in the show for sure for yeah. sure uh let's talk about the main secondary character sal the doorman sal the doorman yes he is played by stand-up comedian, actor, and writer Larry Miller. He's known for the films 10 Things I Hate About You, Pretty Woman, and The Nutty Professor. And yeah, I mentioned at the start of the episode, man, he has a bad complex. He thinks that because he thinks in a way like he... I mentioned if if it was like superiority or whatever, but you mentioned it's probably a mixture of superiority and inferiority with his personality. Yeah, I I would say that, you know, a lot of the time when people project an arrogance, it comes from a place of insecurity. That's what I sensed with him. And he mentions as well, like even... 
you know, when he's standing outside his door. <laughs> and Jerry's like, why are you standing outside your door? Because he thinks he's a doorman at the house and he goes, no, this is where I live. And yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I work a shift at, at, the, at the building and then I come here to work another shift to help feed mother and baby. Yeah, the poor doorman can't afford to put food on the table for mother and baby. Yeah, the mother I- and baby, that's it. Yeah, he's just really, really, he really uses that against you, don't doesn't he? Yeah, I think Jerry's on the mark when he says that he's playing mind games. I've got a bit of a theory about Sal, if you'll indulge me. Mm. I don't think he's like this with everyone. I think he's mostly kind and normal to everyone. I think he has it in for Jerry because maybe he has feelings for Elaine and he sees Jerry as a threat. I mean, he even asks him, what are you, the boyfriend? Which would be none of his business. Oh, so I think he's trying... He's jealous. Yeah. Okay, I th- okay. Nice. You know, while Elaine's been house-sitting and, you know, and just generally working um, at Mr. Pitt's apartment, you know, I'm sure Jerry's come in and out to visit her and maybe even a bit more recently because of her house-sitting. Mm. I reckon he's noticed it and, yes. you know, he's seen them together. And I think maybe he has a bit of a crush on Elaine and he wants to mess with Jerry because he's jealous. Yeah, probably say that too. I, I did not think of that at all because I was trying to understand like why he would be so upset at Jerry. Like maybe maybe he knew that Jerry was a comedian and he didn't want to say anything yep. and he felt like, you know, Jerry was superior to him. But no, that's a really good point. He has a thing for Elaine. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I think he's just playing on the idea that people might look down on him for being a doorman. I don't think he actually feels inferior. I think he's just uh, leveraging that perception that he thinks other people might have of him to sort of guilt Jerry and manipulate Jerry uh, and make him feel awkward and and weirded out and threatened. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I think it's totally intentional. um, And I think he's just, you know, screwing with him. I mean, as as Jerry said, uh, you know, diabolical, you know, he's planned it all out in his head. He's like, how can I screw with Jerry and get him in trouble? I think it's also a way to keep him away from the building because if he's, you know, if he's quote unquote responsible for having the couch stolen, you know, he couldn't have foreseen that the, you know, the couch that it was, uh, the replacement couch was a pea couch. But, you know, I think he set him up entirely and that way Jerry would just feel too awkward to go near the building because he's so much bad stuff happened. That would keep him away from Elaine. Yeah. And he's clearly in with the FedEx guy as well. Like it's quite obvious that they were in. You know, one thing that was really interesting, I I love that scene where Elaine and Jerry are back in Jerry's apartment and they're trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out ways. What was it again? They were were trying to figure out ways to like come up with excuses, you know, because the- I think they were just trying to get their story straight. Their story straight. I love how it was like a Hitchcock. It was like something out of an Alfred Hitchcock film you know it was like yeah to me it kind of even like if you mentioned that the doorman was in like love with elaine or whatever it's very like hitchcock-esque you know it's kind of like the weird doorman and he's got like a an obsession with like a lady who stays in the building and you know he tries different things and he conjures up these ideas in his head and the boyfriend or the supposed boyfriend comes along and he tries maybe in hitchcock a hitchcock film he tried to get him murdered or something you know but it's just like really like really like interesting elements kind of like a hitchcock film especially with elaine and jerry talking about how they're going to do their story it just felt like a 50s film yeah no i um I get the same vibe. I think the Hitchcock resemblance is the fact that, yeah, you've got a protagonist. He's not directly harming Jerry, but he's sort of from afar. He's manipulating him and he set up events to confuse and to, you know, to to put Jerry in awkward situations. So, yeah, I can I can understand why you would think it would, you know, why it has a similar vibe. Yeah. Uh, to a Hitchcock film. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I like that comparison. Yeah, and also like when Lane's like, so this is what we're going to say. And, you know, Jerry's like, what are we yep. going to say? And it just sounds, they sound like actors from like the 1950s. 
It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's a really and nice Lango's. homage, I think. And, and I love, like, because with Hitchcock films, there was a lot of, like, shade and stuff. And I love, like, the lighting. It was, like, not much light and stuff. It just it yep. made it look like this dark apartment. It was, it was crazy. One thing about Sal I really like as well is his style. When uh, Jerry runs into him outside his own building, he's wearing a, a really uh, nice black pea coat and the the black flat cap i think you know he's a stylish man yeah in his you know in his off time from work yeah i, I just like that he kind of reminded me and it kind of fits in with the hitchcock mystery thriller vibe he looked kind of like a an old school spy you know in the in mm. the coat and the gloves and the the flat cap it just reminded me of like world war ii style espionage or some something like that so i think yeah. that contributes to uh you know even subtly to that to that idea of hitchcocky manipulation thrillery whatever vibe you'd see hitchcock regular jimmy stewart wearing that outfit you know in one of those yeah hitchcock films yeah 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 for sure for For sure sure. yeah but a uh not not a not a nice person piece of work as they say absolutely but i I find it interesting how in the first act jerry tried everything to avoid the doorman like the Mm. doorman gave him like was trying to you know bait him but jerry wouldn't give him anything but then to to make sure that you know because then he, he he gets intimidated by the doorman and he doesn't want to go into the building while the doorman's working. And then in yep. order to try and gain the doorman's trust or to make sure the doorman leaves him alone, he makes he tries to befriend the doorman, but it backfires. A, a lot of these sort of plans have to have more than one step to them. So I think the initial step of just making him feel a bit, un, bit uneasy and a bit unsure of what this guy's vibe is, you know, just to sort of disarm Jerry a bit and put him off. And then, you know, he ramps up the attack, I guess, you know, with each step you know he, he sort of i think he knows jerry's path home his route home and he stands outside of his building on purpose and he accidentally on purpose runs into him mm-hmm. which kind of which kind of escalates the tension and the yes. weird scenario and then and then the kicker is you know setting him up for the couch being stolen mm-hmm. so i think it's you know it's a it's a strategic multi uh staged situation in which to basically piss jerry off mm-hmm. uh literally mm-hmm. and figuratively <laughs> yes. um, just so that he's not around Elaine because he sees him as a threat that's right and he wants to get with Elaine sure mm-hmm. for sure bit of a piece of work Sal the old doorman he's more than a doorman yeah he's more than that yeah he's, he's like yeah. almost like a killer yeah, he could be like a spy or something. Like he's yeah. very manipulative, and he knows how to sort of mess with people's heads, and yeah. you know, and and he's really good at it. Yeah, I think Larry Miller did a great job in the role too. Like he played like yeah. this real snarky, snarky dude. Yeah. yeah, and even the stare that he has, um, you know, when Jerry's waiting for the lift that's going really slow, and Sal's just staring at him, mm. and and Jerry's trying to avoid eye contact and make conversation just to to break the awkwardness. Just that stare is <laughs> is brilliant. And then Jerry tries to break the ice, saying, "How about those nicks?" Oh, because oh, I'm a doorman. Yeah. I'm, I'm not educated enough to read the finance. I'm reading the sports. Yeah, I'd read the sports <laughs> page, huh? Yeah. It's whatever, he, whatever Jerry says, he can't win. No, he can't win. No. <laughs> yeah, everything is turned against him, even that's though Jerry's right. trying to be polite. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's all I had on Sal out of year. Yes. Yeah. Same. Why don't we talk about Sid Farkas? Yes, he, this is his second appearance on Seinfeld, played by Patrick Cronin. He's known for the films Splash and Rocky Five. Uh, he appeared in the accountant, or the sorry, the sniffing accountant, I should say. That's the episode where George tries to get an interview, uh, and he's hired, but then because he feels the fabric of the uh, head manager, he gets fired with as quickly as he did getting hired. <laughs> yep. That's it. So Sid, he we know that he is a long time. Uh, a friend 
of Frank's. That's how George got the interview uh, in the Sniffing Accountant because of Frank helping him out. And uh, we find out that he's had a long time crush on Estelle and he's been uh, waiting in the wings, waiting for the uh, the divorce, the wait out. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think as soon as he met Estelle, he was besotted with her. And uh, even I think he he does feel sorry for Frank separating. You know, his his um his offer of you know I guess you could say condolences or can't think of a similar word. You know, that seems sincere. Um, when he sort of says sorry for their separation. But uh, he's definitely an opportunist as well. I think it was pretty bad form. I mean, it was polite that he asked and he didn't wasn't doing it aggressively. But the fact that he asked in the same sentence, you know, when he apologized to his friend, he's like, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your divorce. Oh, by the way, can I ask her out? Like that's Yeah, that's a bit that's a dog act. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, I mean, that's just such a, a backhanded apology. You know, you think, oh, my friend's really coming through for me and wishing me well during these difficult times. And then he does that. That's uh, I can understand why Frank just goes, no, nah, I'm not doing business with you. You're an asshole and storms out. And what the shitty thing is as well, Steve, is, you know, Frank says, you know, don't, you know, you want to hook up with my wife or whatever. But then Estelle yep. says in a later scene that she's going out to dinner with Sid. So Sid must yeah, have he- bloody just gone ahead with it anyway, regardless. So he has no regard for Frank at all. He just wanted to get with Estelle. Yeah, for sure. I think... I. Like I said, I think he does see Frank as a friend, but his desire for Estelle, having been, you know, unsatisfied for so many years, I think his desire for Estelle overrides his loyalty to Frank as a friend. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's terrible. You know, he's yeah, no, just just bad form. Just mm-hmm. you just don't cut your mate's grass. That's no. it's pretty simple. Pretty uh pretty standard rule for life, I think. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. I I do like how open he is to new business ideas, you know, obviously being Frank's friend and trusting him, you know, and valuing his, uh, I guess, opinions and his insights helps. But I like the fact that he is open to what could be a monumental failure, you know, a male bra. But, you know, he seems he seems very keen on the idea. He sees it as commercially viable. And I like the fact that he and that's probably why he's so successful. You know, Frank calls him the best in the business. And it's probably because he is one to, you know, see the potential in new ideas and not be too conservative about, you know, exploring new business and market opportunities. So I, I, I do like that about him. Yeah, he wants to be the first to get in line, so to speak. He wants yeah, to be the yeah, first think, to issue something. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a, a pioneer in the bra game, mm, for sure. In the undergarments <laughs> industry. In the undergarments. Hosiery, yeah. whatever they call it. Hosiery? Laundry? 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 Undergarments. It? Undergarments, yes. Yeah. Delicates. Delicates, that's right. Intimates. <laughs> <laughs> Intimates. Yeah, that's that's the um that's like the department name and like Kmart or something. It's so like <laughs> it's so family friendly, like this is the intimate section. <laughs> <laughs> this is a lingerie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knickers. <laughs> Knickers. <laughs> Oi mate, can you point us in the direction of your red grundy section? <laughs> For any uh, non-Australian listeners, Reg Grundies is a, a slang for undies. I think it comes from Cockney slang or something yeah, similar. But that's like a term from like the 60s or something, yeah? Yeah, show us your Reg Grundies show means uh, yeah. show us your undies, that's your underwear. Right. <laughs> Just in case you thought, hang on, is there a secondary character in this episode named Reg Grundy? <laughs> Reg- Sid Farkas is second in charge. <laughs> yeah, Reg Grundy. That'd be an awesome reference if uh, they had, you know, his, uh, you know, his immediate um subordinate named reg grundy like that'd be an awesome <laughs> nod to australia <laughs> it would yeah 
All right. Do you have anything else about any of the other secondaries? Uh, just a little bit about a couple of the residences of the tower, Miss Payton and Mr. Green. Uh, Miss Payton, yep. she was played by stage and screen actor Edith Fields. She's known for No Way Out and Next. Uh, Mr. Green, he was played by Jack Betts, known for the films Spider-Man, Falling Down and Eight Millimeter, uh, obviously just like Mr. Pitt, very old, very rich, and very snobby. Um, mm-hmm. Mr. Green, he claims that he's lived in the building for over 20 years. Jerry comes up when he's doorman, and uh, the man, you know, he walks in the door, and uh, he goes, excuse me, sir, do you live here? I've lived here for 20 years. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem to suffer fools or suffer any sort of, any person holding him up from going about his day uh, or doing what he has to do very well. I think, um, yeah, I think he's like a very confident, rich arrogant kind of you know upper crust dude i don't think he's used to people pulling him up on whatever he does through his day the fact that he threatens to call the police is a bit dramatic yeah. but i think that he's not used to being pulled up or asked to clarify why he's in a place or whatever to explain himself in any way so i think for him you know calling the police seems like an appropriate response because it just it's so it's almost offensive to him yeah and then at first jerry's just doesn't really know what to do but then he understands sal's plight you know people yep. he, he starts saying to people like in the back, so what you think you're better than me? It's almost like the um the the doorman hat has like the it's like the mask. You know, you put yeah. the mask on and you become someone different. The hat just turns you into a a weird asshole. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Jerry just turns into Sal. You know, he's got an attitude. He uh, you know, he he he's really snarky to people. But as soon as he takes the hat off and throws it on the bench, he's back to his normal old Jerry, which is still actually pretty snarky and a bit of an asshole. In his own way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, Miss Payton, she is the one who, because uh, the cops are downstairs and she reports the couch going missing. And, yep. um, you know, and then Elaine turns up and, you know, Elaine tries to say her story, pretending that, you know, she doesn't know anything about, you know, the couch or, you know, any of that kind of stuff or any kind of problems and then sal the doorman he his conspiracy or his plan comes into fruition and he shows mrs payton the uh, signed pathetic thing by jerry yeah blows the whole thing out of the water yeah too convenient i think mrs payton you know if we're assuming that she's also a rich snob and elaine is not you know she's just an employee of mr pitt who is part of the rich snobbery of that apartment complex i reckon mrs payton probably looks down at you know looks down her nose at elaine a bit because elaine doesn't come from or isn't part of you know the the upper crust of new york no she's not part uh, of high society no so yeah i would assume that maybe mrs payton I, I don't think she directly like gives a shit but i think privately she would look down on elaine a bit mm. Yeah, because she knows yep. that it's obviously not her apartment, it's Mr. Pitt's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably sees uh, Elaine as potentially someone who wants to, uh, you know, gym into, you know, an elite circle of people just by extension, you know. And she probably feels the same about Sal too. Doesn't really give him the light yeah. of day. There's many characters who live in that building who don't really give him the light of day. No. Mm. You know, maybe that's maybe that's contributed to his maladjustment with life. You know, maybe he's just sick of getting kicked around and he unfortunately took it out on Jerry. That's right, in a uh, you know, really bad way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But luckily they had the pea-stained couch to replace, so it wasn't all bad until Poppy yeah. stained it again. I kind of feel like that Poppy staining the couch was almost like a bit of uh, unintentional revenge for Jerry and Elaine. <laughs> yeah, that was clearly um, unintentional that time. I don't think, unlike the couch, I don't think Poppy had any intention to deliberately... Oh, no, no, I just mean it worked out in Jerry and Elaine's favour. You know, they're the ones that got caught out and they're the ones that are kind of getting screwed over. Right by the doorman you know and poppy peeing on the couch sort of worked out in their favor in that well you know you've got to deal you know we we got your couch back yeah but poppy peed on it so that's kind of your problem now that's you know right. it's just a, yeah. like a yeah it's just like a, a small amount of revenge for them 
Yeah, it's just something, and it's right at the end too. They get some hand back in the situation, a as George would say. Hand, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of hand, a finger, a finger's worth of hand. That's right. I, I have a feeling that Jerry was probably banned from the building since then. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. And even if he was, yeah, I reckon they would have gotten. <sighs> Why can't I think of him? The fruit shop owner. Oh, uh, uh, Joe. Joe, yeah, I reckon they would have gotten him to come down and tell Jerry that he's banned, just <laughs> yeah. just just to make the point. You're banned. You're banned. banned You're banned from the building. Banned from the building. <laughs> Love that guy. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, do you have any other notes on any other secondary characters, my friend? Uh, look, I do have a couple on Frank, but we've covered him so much. There's nothing really too too much to add to what we've already talked about through many many episodes and his own What's the Deal with episode, our second one ever with my folks actually. What's the deal with the Seinfeld parents back in 2017, our tenth episode overall. That's right. So we do talk about him quite a lot there. So, yeah, I do have a couple of notes, but just thinking about it now, nothing worth talking about. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, I guess if you haven't watched the episode before you've listened to this, go and watch it and you'll see Frank in uh, all his glory. For sure, for sure. I do want to give a shout out to the scene where Estelle and... George walk in on Frank and Kramer trying on the bra. You know, it's 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 funny anyway. But what I think makes it even funnier is when the cha cha music's playing and yes. you see in the background Kramer with this weird kind of grin laugh yes. on his face yeah, dancing. He, he looks really satisfied. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, Frank, Estelle, and George are just very awkwardly in shock. They don't really know what to do. Well, Frank, and Kramer seems like Kramer, he's really into the music still. Like he looks a bit nervous, but he's still really into it. Yeah. 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 But he's he's still he still definitely seems like he's a kangaroo in headlights. You know, yeah. he's just a, yeah. he's just a bit. What do I do? What do I say? This is awkward. But Kramer's just not bothered at all. He's nah, dancing and driving it. along to the cha cha music, and it just it makes me laugh. He loves it. Yes, it makes me laugh too. <laughs> it's great. It is. Anyway, let's take one more break, mate. And when we come back, we're going to find out where the Dorman sits in our episodes we have done so far. And there's uh, not many episodes to go after this, probably like 20-something from here on in. So uh, we'll find out where the Dorman sits and if any of today's secondary characters make our top 20 secondary character list of all time. Hey, we're twins. <laughs> what? Our shirts, they're the same. Oh, imagine that. Okay, The Doorman, season six, episode 18. Where does it appear on your list of episodes we reviewed so far? Out of 139 episodes, number 41. Oh, nice. That's yes. a pretty good ranking. It is. Like you said, really underrated episode, and I have to agree. I was laughing a lot. The Frank with the bro and the Manzia, one of the most famous Seinfeld moments or moments on the show and uh yeah really came to fruition on this one and it kind of wrapped up three subplots quite nicely <laughs> with the bro and the man's ear and uh yeah i, I really enjoyed uh, larry miller as sal the doorman i think he was just really snarky but also kind of likable too in a way i don't know i still kind of i, still, I thought he was a jerk but i still kind of liked him which was a bit weird <laughs> well he's so skilled at uh these sort of strategic manipulative situations you almost have to you almost have a respect for him because he's yeah. just so Everything just unfolds exactly as he planned. Mm. And uh, that requires a certain amount of intellect and uh, cunning. So yes. I think I think that's cunning. what makes him likable, you know, even though he's just pure evil. He's sly like a fox. Yeah, as, uh, as Jerry said, and as I said before, diabolical. Diabolical. What about you, man? Uh, this comes in at number 56. Okay. So a bit lower than yours, but uh, I pretty much agree on why the episode is good. Bit of an underrated episode. The bro Manzia storyline is... Probably top five Frank storylines, I would say, um, in terms of fame and just comedy as well. Yeah, and I love uh, how disturbed Estelle is when uh, George starts <laughs> questioning her about um, her grandmother, you know, and also when she comes into uh, the room where Kramer and Frank are trying on the bra. 
everyone's on fire in this episode. It's really, really good. Why do you want to know if your grandma is bosomy? Bosomy. <laughs> bosomy. Where do your jeans come from? Where do you get your jeans? And George oh, says, oh, I, have I, no I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. I love her reaction when she comes into the room, which is like, oh, my God. He's walking around like J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, you know, for 40 years I lived with your father. He never wanted to try and try on my underwear, you know, and then he moves in with you, and all of a sudden he turns into J. Edgar Hoover. Great line. Great line. <laughs> yeah. So good. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case you were wondering, if you're a bit of a younger listener, J. Edgar Hoover was the former head of the FBI, I think. Back in like and, the 30s uh, or 40s or something? 40s and 50s, yeah. Right. He, was, he was during like the McCarthy era, like when Soviet paranoia you know commie paranoia was at its height and um he was i think it was a rumor at the time but it sort of came out to be truth maybe after he retired from public life or maybe even after he died that he was a prominent cross-dresser which mm. you know in, in, in a conservative organization like the fbi during a conservative time in america's history i'm sure would have been very very contentious today it'd be it'd be a right if he was i mean he'd be yeah, but probably not back then. No. no, 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 no. And he was, I think he was a conservative, you know, a conservatively minded person, at least publicly. So yes, that probably yeah. added to the controversy that that happened around that. But uh, yeah, great, great reference. Indeed. Very good. Very good. Do any of today's secondaries make your 20? Uh, none do, but a uh, special shout out to Sal. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I, I did like all the secondaries in this episode. Uh, one person or one storyline, I guess I wish they elaborated on a bit more was the Germans. Yeah, um, yeah. Horst. Anyone named Horst to me is intriguing, <laughs> but um, you know, obviously they can only fit so much in. But uh, yeah, no, none of the secondaries appear in my top twenty. Fair enough, my friend. Fair enough. But anyway, that was another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate your texts, your emails, your tweets, your Facebook messages, whatever you send us, whether it's through Seinfeldisms, our Facebook page, or our Bidwabask Facebook page, which has recently been reactivated. We uh, accidentally got deleted by Facebook, and now uh, it's yeah. been reactivated. It's so weird. Yeah, we couldn't figure out why. Uh, normally, they deactivate pages for like copyright material or offensive material, but none of that was happening. And uh, after I lodged about four or five appeals, didn't hear anything. We made a new Facebook page because we thought it was a lost cause. And then just today, hours before recording, I get a notification on my phone saying, we have reviewed your unpublished page appeal and we've decided to republish the page. So uh yeah look forward to seeing us back on facebook in full force again yeah thanks yeah so go back so we might have two pages for the next couple of weeks so the one which is called but i don't wanna be a secondary character not but i don't want to i don't want to yep. is our uh del- one we're going to delete so don't go to that indeed. <laughs> yeah. indeed indeed you can get in touch with us via email as well and we are other we are on other forms of social media instagram twitter and reddit as well as facebook which we just mentioned uh if you want to listen to previous episodes you can do so and it would really help out if you want to rate us or review us Mm. and you can support financially as well on patreon and paypal and like we mentioned at the start of the episode patreon you do get bonus podcast episodes of different things and uh, it's all for two dollars a month us plus any applicable taxes depending on where you are in the world that's right and finally we do have a facebook group called seinfeldisms it's the biggest seinfeld facebook group in the world so if you want to join the fun uh, we will be running some trivia events very soon so check that out Uh, we'll be running different events in different time zones so if you're in the us we'll have an event for you uh, Australasia or Australia, let's face it, uh, one for you and uh, one for Europe as well. So just keep an eye on the page for those events. Uh, they'll be posted in the next week or so. Can't wait. Indeed. I am one of your hosts, Stephen. I'm the other host, Ivan. And next week we are joined possibly by another very special guest very close to you, Stephen. Yes, my sister will be joining us next week when we talk about the wallet 
a fantastic episode. Uh, she'll be joining us. She's been pestering me for a couple of weeks to join in on uh, the podcast and finally got around to sending her a message and confirming that. So that should be really fun. Yeah, it'd be very good to have another family member of yours on the pod. We've had your mum and dad yeah. in, uh, in the past. Yeah, that's right. She, uh, My sister Sarah is a massive Seinfeld fan, so I'm sure she'll have a lot of good uh, insights and uh, quotes from the show, as to be expected. Yep, can't um, wait to meet her. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I am one of your hosts, Steve. And uh, I am Ivan, like I said before. And a uh, big thanks also to Parkers, who had a really awesome Seinfeldism. You can go listen to his podcast, The Campfire, with Parkers and Daily. Just a couple of blokes chatting around a virtual campfire about different things. And uh, they're currently on a hiatus, but they've got plenty of episodes in their back catalogue, so go check them out. For sure. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you so much for listening again. Alrighty. Take care of yourselves and each other during these very difficult times. And yeah, we'll catch you next week. Eh? <laughs>